Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. But we are so grateful to um, to be here and to have, we have a wonderful guest, Dr. Archer is here with us on Zoom. Um, Dr. Danielle Archer is a licensed mental health therapist and stage four cancer patient. She utilizes her clinical experience in her cancer journey to help cancer patients manage their mental health before, during, and after treatment. Dr. Archer also works with oncology professionals to understand the importance of incorporating mental health into their treatment plans. Danielle's area of expertise includes trauma, grief, depression, and anxiety with a special emphasis of treating individuals who have eating disorders pre-cancer diagnosis. Um, and then we also have a wonderful uh, patient panel here with us. I'll give the mic to Lauren to introduce them. Hi, everybody. Welcome. We're grateful you're here. I'm Lauren Seaman. I am a board member with Acure Insight and also um, a patient, well, always a recovering patient, right? Um, but I want to introduce my beautiful friends. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting years ago, not because of good things, it was because of OM, and Jack O'Dell, who's I haven't seen in years, and I'm so glad to see you, and Wendy Carpenter, also, I haven't seen her in years. So when we first decided on this session, it was going to have a really bad word to it, like instead of <laughs> I'm done with um, OM, it was going to be the F word, because, you know, we've all been through a lot. So, and uh, that's how we really feel about it, like F, you know, O-M, right? So, our beautiful friends are going to help us today discuss it. So, thank you. I'm Jack O'Dell. I was on the board for four or five years, and I'm still one of the directors of Ocular Melanoma Research for a Cure Insight. I was diagnosed at 71. Um, no, 61, I'm 71 now. So I was at the average age for a diagnosis. I uh, had proton beam, I had two biopsies, the second for genomic testing, and after that, my doctor gave me my prognosis, which was I would live in July of 2013, two months to two years. And I was told to get my affairs in order at which point uh, my husband fell off the chair behind me. I sat like a stump in the chair, and Dr. D'Amato said, Jack, I'm really worried about you. You haven't reacted. And I said, I'm very pragmatic. I will react. And he said, I learned several things at that moment. He said, in that case, can I take care of John? He's having a bit of trouble with this. And I said, yes. So you take care of yourself, you take care of others. And I'm glad to be here. Great, thanks. I just want to say something, Jack, when you th before we get before I introduce myself, I'm Wendy, but I will just a moment. When you think about like it's only been 10 years since you were given that type of diagnosis, so 
just acknowledging how far things have come and yay for 10 years. Thank you. So I know you just celebrated it this year, this summer. So um, anyway, I'm Wendy Carpenter. Um, I, gosh, I don't even know how old I was when I was diagnosed because I don't really count my age anymore. I'm in my 40s. <laughs> Um, so I was diagnosed on the on the younger end. Um, I was diagnosed with a um, like a freckle in my eye in 2017 at a regular appointment. Um, went for about 18 months um, getting that monitored, and then it grew a little, so opted for treatment. Um, I also had proton beam therapy here in Seattle. Um, very fortunate that that is available here. Um, and I am in one of the rarer of the rare categories of the treatment did not work for me. And so a year afterwards, my tumor recurred. Um, it's not common if there's any newly diagnosed folks here. That is, it, I am, again, my, Dr. Stacy says I am one of the only ones that he has ever seen this happen to. So um, I opted for a nucleation. Um, that was about three years ago. Um, and so yeah, it's been a it's been a journey. Um, lots lots learned. So that's my introduction. So I'm going to interject real quick, yep. um, just to give you guys hope. I was diagnosed in yes. 2001. So and I'm still here. So don't ever give up hope. Yeah. Right. We don't. So, yeah, and I'm always, I am hesitant to share my story sometimes um, because um, for newly diagnosed people, it can seem, you know, overwhelming, but in, but it's not like I, again, I, I'm very happy. I'm almost at five years since original diagnosis. It'll be this December. So really exciting. And yeah, Danielle. Yes. Hello. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for having me, and I'm glad that I'm able to appear by Zoom. Um, yes, I am a stage four cancer patient. Um, unlike everyone um, that is present, my cancer is not um, ocular in nature. However, um, my unique position as a mental health therapist and also as a fellow cancer patient has really created a lot of commonalities in the community. Right. We um, it's so funny to talk to cancer patients. And I know that everybody is kind of the same way. It's like all of a sudden we become like these medical professionals. Um, we know all sorts of terminology and all sorts of therapies and, and blood counts and all of these technical terms that we normally wouldn't. So we become, um, <clears throat> excuse me, these pseudo medical experts um, as well as these self advocates. And, you know, you know, much like when, when Jack was diagnosed, you know, my first diagnosis was very um, anticlimactic and very anti-Hallmark um, movie channel kind of, you know. It was like we were coming home and I looked at my husband. And I was like, did the doctor just tell me I have cancer? And my husband was like, yeah. And I went, okay, right? And it's, it's very interesting when that happens because we always anticipate what that's going to look like in our world and how things are going to be affected and I find as a patient, more often than not, we're, we're caring for the people around us and preparing them for what it is that we're going to be experiencing and less on what we're doing for ourselves. And it's in these communities, it's in these rooms, whether it's 
for ocular cancer, whether it's a general um, cancer conference, whatever the case may be, um, you know, we find sanctity and community in these rooms where we can talk about whether or not we have a terminal diagnosis or we have a positive prognosis and it's accepted um, and we don't necessarily have to feel bad about what our outcome is is because we're all coming from um, from a very similar place Um, but what I do find is hard is you know as we're living with disease, um, those moments of when we're just like, and I, and I saw, uh, saw it on social media this morning, it was a meme, and it's like, I'm coping, I'm coping, I'm coping, I'm coping, and it's like, holy crap, I'm tired of coping. I, I, I just, I don't want to be, have cancer anymore, I don't want to feel this in my body, you know, I, I don't want this anymore, and then it's, I'm coping, I'm coping, I'm coping, I'm coping, right? And, and I feel like a lot of times when it comes to cancer and cancer treatment, um, that's kind of where we're at is we've learned to cope and then it, we get to a point point we go, I just want to have a bad day. And it's how do we, um, how do we relay those things to the people around us, which I find is the hardest. It's like, we want to be, we want to be normal. Um, you know, we want to have normal lives. We want to have normal jobs. We want people to treat us normal but on like the flip side of that it is also um but i have cancer like i feel like crap i am tired i am all of these things um so we don't often don't know how we feel from day to day so it's also very hard for us and how we can advocate for ourselves with people in our circle on on how they should treat us is, is where I find that a lot of cancer patients get stuck. So I don't know if, if anybody, any, uh, any, on, anyone on the panel has experienced that or how, how they deal with that, if they can share a piece of that with, with everybody. I can ping off of that. Is this my on? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was told recently, and the way it was introduced to me, was that, Jack, don't take offense at this, but when you were diagnosed, it was quite obvious that I was in a shell, I was in a dark place, but she said, you handled it just like you handle everything, like it's a business transaction. It was impersonal to me. It was a deal. It followed me everywhere. I couldn't ignore it but I didn't give it the time of day. I managed, just like you said, I managed the people around me. I have a wonderful partner who jumped in, immediately got a naturopathic oncologist on board. First thing, he had me on 40 pills, supplements. <laughs> and it was the natural on- oncologist who introduced us to a scientist who took charge of my entire medical team. So I had a lot of backing. But our families were across the United States, and I read an article. There were a lot of first-year patients here, so I'll just tell you this, managing others and their expectations and their fears. I read an article called Susan's Story. It was a woman who had breast cancer, and she and her husband came up with the way to introduce people gradually to their story. It started with a circle with the patient in the middle. The next was your caregiver, 
and then your family. Well, our family, quite frankly, were three couples on our street who we did everything with. So you have to choose who your family is and what you're going to help. But as you add circles, you are becoming more public with your story. And you're going to lose friends. I had two friends that just ghosted me. And I learned it really bothered me, and it really upset me, but I realized finally it was them. It's like a dating breakup. Oh, it's me, not you. <laughs> oh, it was them, not me. But then I realized you have to distance yourself from toxic people, and you read about this, and it's not easy. But people use you, and they come, become habits, and they don't want to hear the word cancer. Well, that's not healthy. You need to distance yourself from those people. So you have to eventually manage yourself and others. And I got through in a business way quite nicely, I think, without a lot of trauma. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, I'm just thinking, I, I'm sitting with, I'm tired of coping. Like, I get, I mean, I still get to that place. Um, learned so much about myself on this journey. Um, I'm a highly anxious person, always have been. Didn't really know that until this, until my diagnosis. Um, and sometimes I just get tired of coping and I just want to be done. Um, and I will say that, you know, I didn't really have the experience of like worrying or managing other people's reactions to my cancer until my recurrence. And um, so I have a lot more. Um, thoughts about that now. Um, my mom my mom is in this room right now. Um, she has been my caregiver. Um, she's the one who comes, has spent many a days up here in Seattle helping care for me for various things. Um, telling your parents that you have a recurrence and that it's much scarier this time um, was really, really hard. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know. I go in the, when I find that in the moments, like when I was in active treatment or actively fighting something, like I go into this mode of like, okay, get all the information, I make all my plans, um, and then when it's done, it's the weight of everything that I just dealt with, like weighs on me. That's when I get tired. That's when I get, like, when I get in, like, when I have, you know, when I, when I experience some really extreme depression. Um, and it's about finding the things that I think bring you joy to get you out of that. Um, and how do you have those moments where it's not all about ocular melanoma? Because, you know, the topic of the, I think the topic is, you know, I'm done with ocular melanoma, but how do you be done with something that you're never really done with and finding that balance? Um, and yeah, so. It's almost not healthy either way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because I've thought about moments of like, I just walk away from this, like, you know, I'll be honest, like coming to this, I was like, oh, I'm like, I don't really want to, like, I don't, I, I want to pretend like this isn't my life, um, you know, and then I come and I've met some of the most amazing people that have become amazing friends. You lose some friends, but I've gained so many more along the journey. Um, but how... You know, how do you live in that in-between of, like, it's it's part of you, so you can't, you can't ignore it, 
but it's still there. And I, you know, because we're such a small community, um, like us being there for each other. Um, and that's, that's what always brings me back. You know, like I'll take a foot out and I'll be like, nope, I like, I'm not. And then somebody resonates with me, you know, like somebody new in, in the Facebook group resonates with me and I reach out and, you know, just like some people did to me when I first started. And, you know, Jack being one of those, those people who I remember when I had the markers placed on my eye and like I texted Jack I'm like I just had my markers placed on my eye and he sent me a picture of him the day the day he came back and he was like up working and just you know so anyway I don't really know where I'm going with that <laughs> please forgive me <laughs> I, I can relate to that because I reached out when I finally had control of my situation I was deep inside myself again having to deal with this and I thought, what do I usually do? Well, I take care of other people. And I reached out to Melody. And I said, you know, you need some help. Yeah. So my joining the board was months and years of process with me and Melody coming up with these ideas that didn't go before the board. And she'd say, do you want to run with this? And I'd say, done. Yeah. And I met the most amazing people. It's in, our community is so supportive. And you can't not be a part of it. Did that help with your question? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, where I go is that you take, you take, I allow one day to be on my pity pot, right? I'm in a, so I'm, I'm in another treatment right now. I get treatments to my eyes, both of them. And I, I've been doing it since 2017, and um, you know my cancer has been arrested, thank God. But I have other issues because of the cancer in both eyes. And you know, I the day before I'm like I don't want to go, you know. But it's about acceptance, and acceptance is, doesn't mean I like it, right? But I accept it. And I allow myself one day, like when I get home, I'm in bed and I just turn the world off. You know, but then I have to move on. And I look at where's the gratitude of what is good in my life. And as, like, we all need to do, and you had said it earlier, we need to surround ourselves with people that lift us up and, and love us. And the negative has got to go, you know, because life's too short, you know. Um, but I, you know, I, I take care of myself today, you know, and I surround myself with positive people and, and try to stay in the gratitude because um, I find that helps a lot. Um, but acceptance also, you know, I doesn't mean I like it because I sure don't. It's very painful what I'm doing and, you know, um, but that's my, my way. Yeah, and I think radical acceptance. I, I've been been to many therapists um, more in the last several years than before, but um, radical acceptance was one of the like most eye opening, like life changing things for me. Where you you can it is what it is. You can you can be sad and you can have and you can be happy at the at the same time. They can all live together. Um, but I have ocular melanoma that it, that's just a fact. And sometimes I'm very, just 
blunt like that with with friends and family and sometimes they don't know how to take it because they're like, oh, that's so horrible. And I'm like, no, it, it is what it is. Yes, it's sad, but there's also great things about it that have come because of it. Danielle, do you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, it, it's one of the things that I love about panels like these is is having everybody's different perspective. And, you know, with the audience, you know, like you said, there's a lot of newly diagnosed people there. Um, you know, I remember when I was diagnosed, you know, you get a number for an oncologist, you get a number for a surgeon, you get a number for this and that, but never one time was I given um, a number for a support group or given a number for a mental health therapist or a number, you know, a number for any of those things, right? We take, they take care of the business end of it. So when we're going through treatment, we, you know, we do, we go through a lot of the motions, but we don't go through the emotions, right? Because that's, that's not, that's not emphasized. And I think how we deal with it emotionally um, and who we have in our corner is just as important as, as who we have taking care of, of our medical needs, right? So when we, we, we come to these, these events and we're, we're networking with people and we're talking with people, um, it is pulling from all these different, all these different perspectives and finding the one that resonates with you. It's like, you know, like what Wendy says, like, you know, I've, had I've had cancer for five years and I'm like people are like oh my god you have cancer I'm like yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> for me it's like you know for me it's like breathing now it's like it's just it's part of who I am and I had to get over myself of like there's people who just like like are not cool with that and they're like you know like oh my god like you have leprosy or you know feel like okay you've got cancer great you know and it's especially a weird thing for me as a therapist because I do tell I do tell clients that I, that I have cancer and it's not for sympathy. It's like, listen, sometimes I have to reschedule my appointment. Sometimes I, I have to go to the ER, like, you know, so it's more of an informative thing. And I found in that space, I was really reluctant to do it, but I found in that space, um, it was people were like, Oh, you're feeling okay. Okay, cool. Well, I've got this, this, and this going on. Right. Like, so they didn't treat me any different. And for me, working with my clients helped me deal with like people in my regular life, like friends and family who did not know how to deal with me because I had cancer. Right. So, so it is, it is finding that balance of what works for you. Yeah. There's going to be days you're going to sit in bed and you're going to eat, you know, Ben and Jerry's and you watch Netflix all day and you're not going to change your clothes. And there's days you're going to get up and you're like, I've got cancer. Okay, cool. I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to do these things. Um, so the balance of it is just, it's like a, it's like a scale. So it's never a 50, 50 balance. We're going to have these days where we're good. We're going to have the days when we're not. But knowing who our support is and where we can go to for help. So I know that I can, you know, if I get a new diagnosis or something weird happens, I know I'm not calling my dad, right? Because my dad's going to panic and he's going to worry. He's going to ask 8,000 questions and I have the mental capacity for it. But I know I can call this person and I can call that person. I know two days from now I can call my dad because then he can handle it, right? So I think that's an important piece of it too is just because we have people in our circle doesn't mean we have to include everybody in all of our stuff all the time. We have to gauge for ourselves what we can handle emotionally because what we find, I've, I mean, I've found, you know, sometimes what we do, we just like, people want to be involved. So we give and give and give and give all this information and we're just constantly relaying information to people, but we don't have time to sit with it for ourselves and find out what it means for us. 
And that's a really important piece of it. So I find a lot of times that's why cancer patients start blogs. Um, here, go to my blog site. Just you want to know what's going on with me, go to my blog site. Um, you know, there's cancer registries. Um, I don't know about you, but when I die, well, probably not for ocular cancer, but for other types of cancer, like I have gotten more friggin' coloring books than I know what to do with my life. Why do people in cancer patients color? I don't know. I don't color. I have so many coloring books, I can open my own store, right? But it's, so they do, they have these cancer registries and it's like, okay, like, here, do you want to like send me a gift card for Starbucks? Like, I need somebody to clean my house. I don't need the color, right? <laughs> you know, I can't, I have neuropathy and I can't stand up. Can somebody come fold my clothes for me? You know, but I think that we get as patients, especially newly diagnosed, that we feel um, kind of like jerks when like people are offering to help us, but it's not like the help we really need and we don't want to say no. We had people making, after I got diagnosed with cancer, my husband had emergency open heart surgery. That was a whole ordeal. And people were, from my kids' school, they were making us food and bringing us food. And it was wonderful. And my husband does not eat chicken and everything is chicken. And like, and like, we weren't, like, we weren't eating any of the food that was coming to our house. And I felt so horrible because I was like, how can I be like, I seem so, like, I felt it was seeming unappreciative, Right. But again, it's that advocacy piece. It's like, this is what I appreciate your help, but this is like actually what I need. So when people go, hey, what can I do to help you? Like actually say what it is that you can do to help, right? And as cancer patients, we don't do that. We're just like, no, we're fine. I'm okay. I got this. And people are like, you know, I can really use an Uber to treatment or, or something, right? But we don't, we don't, um, we don't advocate for our emotional needs as well as we do as well as we advocate for our medical needs. I can relate to that because people almost in passing going out the door say, if you need anything, call me. Mm -hmm. And you read this in articles and they say, that's putting the pressure back on the cancer patient. Well, how do we turn that around? I'm lonely. I'm living alone. I can't see well enough to drive. I'm willing to babysit your kids if you would go to the grocery store with me. You have to come into a pattern to advocate for yourself, and it's hard to ask your friends and neighbors, because eventually, you know, I've survived 10 years. If I didn't have John and my great neighbors, I wouldn't have any friends in the neighborhood. <laughs> I think, too, like, we spend so much time advocating for the medical side of it that it's really hard to think about what we actually need. And so when people are asking you what you need, you don't actually know sometimes. You know, it's really, um, you know, like sometimes you do. You just want somebody to sit there. Um, really funny on the coloring book thing, though, because um, that's really, <laughs> you hit it so good. I had a friend who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer, and I did a little gift basket for her. And I gave her a coloring book and a blanket, and I said in the note, I said, I'm so sorry I'm giving this to you because you're going to get a million of these. <laughs> but I don't know, like, I don't know what it is. Like, why do people think that you want to color? 
Um, especially, and I will be honest with ocular melanoma, really like your vision is all messed up so you really can't color or it's going to be really abstract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it'll be a, you like, stay, you, don't you don't stay in the lines. You definitely don't stay in the lines. Um, but I think, you know, asking for what you need is really, really hard. Um, because for me, I just honestly didn't know a lot of the times. And a lot of times for me, it was just, people reaching out and, you know, asking how I'm doing or just being there to talk. Um, so I, I did hear another patient years ago opened up a communicable um, page on Caring Bridge. Oh, Caring Bridge. Mm -hmm. And she was able to work her friends because everybody who came to check up on her there was of the mind that they wanted to help her. Yeah. So, there, yes, there are avenues out there. Yeah, and I did I did a CaringBridge site originally, but I found, like, it was really hard to update that. So I do, like, I'm very open. I mean, I'm very open with my journey, like, not just this journey, but my journey in life on Instagram and Facebook. And so I do, I post a lot there, like, um, and I found that to be really, um, I guess, cathartic for me to, you know, to post there to just get it out. Um then it reaches a wide range of people. They can take it in on their own moment. They can skip it or not. And, you know, then oftentimes, like, people will reach out and, like, I've connected to many people that way. Well, and I think the thing, I think the thing too, though, is is um, so much of the, like, the paraphernalia and stuff out there is, like, you know, oh, be strong, be strong, and you got this, and be positive, and be strong. And it's like... It's almost like if we, we we say that we're struggling emotionally, that we're somehow failing, right? So when we talk about cancer and people, you know, and over the years I've, I've had to tell people like, oh, you're so strong. And I'm like, no, my choices are to die or to live. So I'm not strong. I've made a choice to live. And this is what I have to do to live. So... And, and again, it's much like when somebody passes away, like you never know what to say when somebody dies. It's the same thing with cancer. It's like people don't know how to approach us. They don't know how to talk to us. They don't know how to care for us. They don't know what the right thing to say is, you know. And again, it's, it's going back to that self-advocacy piece of like, you don't have to tell me to like to be strong. You don't tell me like, God give you can't, can't, you know, God doesn't give you anything, you know, more than you, you can handle or, you know, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, a lot of times too with cancer when you're in active treatment, people are like, oh, but you look so good. Thank you. I'm glad I look good. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and again, it's people trying, they're, they're trying to like, like go in the recesses of their mind and be okay, like what, what are the nice things I can say and how can I lift somebody up? But it's, it's not necessarily what we need. And again, it's like that piece of like, I don't want to be a jerk because you're trying to be nice, but like, I mean, I probably could have paid off my medical bills with how many times people have told me how good I look or having, you know, <laughs> right. I should start charging people. Um, but, but again, it's, it's, it's that, that emotional piece, like that doesn't resonate with me. Like send me a joke. Like, I mean, if you're not following cancer patients, like certain cancer like sites on Twitter, you're missing out because the senses of humor that are out there on cancer patients is unmatched. Like it is, you know, and it's such a great space because it's supportive. 
and we can tell jokes and we can do those things, but we can also share when somebody loses a friend or loses a loved one. And it's a very, um, such a great space to be in. Um, if we have to make, you know, make it a great space, like it, it really is because the community that's in, that's created by cancer is, is, is really, um, in and of itself, just, just really, um, supportive. You know, when I met, when I met Melody and, and, and everybody from this group, it was, um, here in Florida, um, I met him at a, at a cancer conference. I was there for, um, the, um, colorectal cancer Alliance. And we just happened to be in the booths next to each other. And when I came home that day, my husband was like, I have not seen you like this peppy in like a long time. And I was like, being around like other cancer patients, like other people who just get it. And I don't care. We don't have the same answer. Like, it's just, it's that community, but it's also a heartbreaking community because you do see people with reoccurrences. You do see people die. Um, so it, it's, it's the good with the bad, but, you know, I think having the base of like your loved ones, like the people that are closest to you and the cancer community, and then from there, you're able to kind of figure out what it is that you need from other people. And, and again, learning how to advocate for your emotional needs just as much as you advocate for your medical ones. We're getting close to the end, and this is very personal. And we've been talking. If you have questions, why don't you write them down early, and we'll try to address as many as we can. And I was going to say something about support. You know, um, for me, being of service to others, that's where I get my greatest joy, and it gets me out of myself, and I'm not in that. But being around other cancer patients, we have a Zoom meeting. Anybody that's here today, I don't know if you know, Cure in Sight has a Zoom meeting on Tuesday evenings, and it's a great support place to come and we, you know, it's a family. We're, we're all family here. We're all walking this life together. You know, our journeys are different. Our cancers might be different, but we get each other, like you said, right? We understand each other. And when we're around like-minded people that understand us, and that's what we try to explain the doctors. When they give us a diagnosis of whatever it may be, cancer, whatever, stroke, whatever, heart attack, we're hearing blah, 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 blah. You know, we, that's why, you know, we need each other because we understand each other. We're all walking this path together. Um, so we thank you so much for being here today. I'm sorry to meet you in Orlando. I couldn't make it. Um, but for any, anybody that's here attending as a patient, we do have a support group. Every, we started in March of 2020. Um, and it's a great place to come and, and be with um, other people that understand you, you know. Um, but did you have anything else? You I was going to say? ask just one question. Like, uh, I think just for everyone, one of the questions I have is, like, what do you, what is something that you do? Like for you, it's getting out and helping, you know, the community or getting, you know, doing that. But what is something that you do to kind of not escape OM, but just get outside of it? Like that, do you have a day where it's just like, I, this is my cancer free day or do you have anything? Um, I'm just curious. Mine's easy. I retired in 2009 <laughs> and I failed miserably. I'm an, I'm an architect and still to this day I'm designing. 
I don't have staff or an office, but that's my one outlet and my love is drawing and designing and helping others, I told. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have, like, the helping others. I mean, for me, it's photography. I, like, prior to my diagnosis, I did um, portrait photography. Since my diagnosis, I no longer do that. I do exclusively, you know, um, nature. I love the ocean. Um, you know, the, those are moments, like, where I just get outside of it. Um, and also, this is really random, but... Um, building Lego sets. <laughs> it's totally crazy, but for whatever reason, like following those instructions is like something that I think about nothing else. Like it's just about the next step and my mind calms. And so I spend a lot of money on Legos. I don't know what I'm going to do with them because I don't really display them. I build them and then I put them back in the box. Um, some I have a few displayed, but anyway, um, I'm just curious, um, you, Danielle, is there anything that you, that you do? Um, you know, it, it really depends, you know, work is, work is really important to me. So, you know, the fact that I'm able to work, I work, you know, I work from home, um, you know, and be able, you know, to help other people is really good. Um, you know, and just trying to engage in hobbies. But for me, it's, um, cancer's like white noise, right? It, it's, it's something that I live with. It's something that's a part of me, but it's always in the back of my head. So it's about how loud is that, am I going to let that voice be today versus it being like a cancer-free day? Um, you know, how, how loud of a voice is it going to be? And sometimes it depends on whatever symptoms I'm experiencing. Um, you know, some of my days are very symptom, you know, very symptom side effect driven. Um, in those days, it's harder for me to even like read a book, watch a movie or whatever, because I'm concentrating on whatever my, my symptoms are. Um, on days that I'm feeling good, it's it's like way back in the far far of my head, and I'm able to do a hobby. I like to um, cross stitch, which is hard. I have neuropathy in my hands, um, which is hard for me to do, but I do it because I want to I want to keep the, the mobility going. Um, you know, just getting out with my kids. I mean, I live near Disney, so we go to the parks if it's not 500 degrees out. Um, you know, and sometimes just going out and taking a walk around the neighborhood or just, you know, seeing friends, just, you know, just those little things and really honoring, um, really honoring the space of where my body and my mind are that particular day, I think is really important. Um, you know, and again, people that are in your life are going to understand it. Um, the people that hang around are going to understand it and, and, and really, um, just like, okay, you can't make it today, cool. Or, oh, we're supposed to go out in an hour, but you can't. Okay, fine. Um, you know, so so being able to get to get comfortable with that as well has been really important for me too. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.